From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and let's start with something funny, because the topic of this is going to be something which I must admit I find even funnier. We're going to go from the headlines. It's the thing about language that's been circulating on the news wires, as they used to call them, and people have been writing me about this. Well, you know, I've got to fill you in, but let's just fly around this and go into ever smaller circles with something that has made me laugh for basically most of my life now, and it is... The Wonderful English as She is Spoke, and it's this poor, misbegotten Portuguese man who, in 1855, wrote what he called a new guide to the conversation, (laughs) i.e. he didn't know that we don't use the that way in English, new guide to conversation as it was supposed to be, where it was supposed to really help a Portuguese person learn English, but he clearly didn't know English at all, and so you have just 250 pages of exquisite nonsense, and this is a whole, he tries to write these whole dialogues. This is a dialogue about fishing, and it goes like this. I practically have this memorized. That pond, it seems me, many multiplied of fishes. Let us amuse, rather, to the fishing. And the other person says, here, there is a wand and some hooks. Wand? Silence. There is a superb perch. Give me quick the rod. Ah, there is. It is a lamprey. Who would want to eat a lamprey? You mistake you. It is a frog. Dip again it in the water. Perhaps I will do best to fish with the leap. What the hell is a leap? Then try it. I desire that you may be more happy and more skillful who a certain fisher what have fished all day without to can take nothing. I love that last sentence. If you say that over and over, it becomes this alternate English. Try it. I desire that you may be more happy and more skillful who a certain fisher what have fished all day without to can take nothing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, why am I reading Pedro Carolina? Because there seems to be someone else who has in his way fished all day without to can take nothing. And it is the person who claims that they have translated a document that gives us our first look at vulgar Latin or proto-romance. Boy, I wish this worked. It would be such fun. But, you know, I'm afraid that it just doesn't work. It's a nice idea that we would have Latin as she is spoke. It kind of reminds you of a song like this one sung by Al Jolson in Go Into Your Dance in 1935 called A Latin from Manhattan. This is exactly from the film. Tacky song now, but also devilishly catchy. Let's kick it off with Al Jolson and A Latin from Manhattan. She's a Latin from Manhattan. I can tell by her manana. She's a Latin from Manhattan. Though she does the rumble for us And she called herself Dolores She was in a Broadway chorus Down to Susie Donahue She can take her tambourine and whack it But the hurry is just a racket She's a hoofer from 10th Avenue She's a Latin from Manhattan She's a 42nd Streeter She's a Latin from Manhattan Senorita Donahue 
because see, it's about Latin. Why am I playing that first? Because I like old movies, but also because we are talking about you know, Latin on the streets of all of Manhattan is the streets. And our issue is this thing called the Voynich manuscript. And so our person, and I'm not going to name the person because I don't want to be too ad hominem, but our person who very scholarly person, research associate at Oxford, this person has claimed to have translated finally at last the, in some circles, notorious Voynich manuscript. And it's this very peculiar thing. It's called Voynich because Voynich was a Polish person who was a book seller and he bought it in 1912. But this thing dates back to the early 1400s. And according to our translator, we now know that it's a kind of therapeutic reference book, as he puts it. And it's a very peculiar thing. It's this book that's full of all these pictures of plants and planets and all that stuff that circulates up in the sky that I always wish I found more interesting than I frankly do. You've got some naked women and some of the women are wearing crowns. So it's all kind of Game of Thrones and then shards of Latin that are sprinkled in this manuscript. And this is from the 15th century. And then most of the writing is in this alphabet. And you can tell it's an alphabet. It's not pictures. It's not syllables. It's an alphabet. And no, no one has been able to decode this alphabet. So someone is trying to say all sorts of things about all this nakedness and all these plants and planets, but we can't figure out what they're saying. So our person today has claimed that they have finally figured it out. And the problem is, if you look at what he's saying is in this manuscript, you can't help but have a certain skepticism. And this broke out last week and everybody started asking me about it. And it reminded me that actually, how shall I put this? I was contacted about this about six months ago. And I rather immediately found myself disinclined to continue in my possession of the announcement. So what's the problem? Why am I throwing cold water over what is so much fun to read about everywhere in the media right now? Well, if you look at just ordinary passages of translation of this, I mean, I'm, I understand how much fun it must have been to think that you've worked out this alphabet. But here are the sorts of things that are being said. Here's my favorite passage. So, to look, it is man, not mouse, and marry and embrace an opening. Thus, you go carefully to the queen to avoid not getting wet with seawater. <laughs> what? I mean, it really does remind me of Pedro Carolino. What is that trying to communicate? What kind of Latin is that? Again, if you read it over and over, it starts to make a vague kind of sense, like to look. So let's say you're beholding. It is man, not mouse. Okay, so I guess we just have to imagine a man. It's not a mouse. Marry and embrace an opening. Well, there's a certain relationship between marrying and embracing, and we're not going to get into what this opening must be. Thus, you go carefully to the queen. That's why we're not going to get into it. To avoid not getting wet with seawater. What was this human being trying to communicate with all of this in the manuscript? You know what that music is in the background? That, and there are going to be like two of you who give a damn what this is. That is the music to Modernistic Mo that Fanny Bryce danced to in 1936 in the Ziegfeld Follies of 1936. It's at the point where one can recreate what that music was. Notice it sounds kind of like Looney Tunes. That is, because I'm slightly synesthetic, that is the music that occurs to me when I'm reading about all of this embracing of openings. It's just, what would that mean? 
And so, okay, here we've got apparently vulgar Latin, Latin of the streets in passages for the first time. But why would it be about not getting wet with seawater? What kind of therapeutic manual is this? What's the therapy? What are you being taught how to do? And in any case, there are other drier reasons why it doesn't quite work. The letter frequency. So what this person has as corresponding to U and V in Latin is rare in these passages. And so it's a letter that isn't used much. But the thing is that UV, of course, in Latin is used all the time, so much that even if you don't care about Latin, you know that there's that weird thing that in inscriptions and things, the U is a V. So you have Caesar instead of Julius Caesar. It's common. So why does he have it as if it's the Q or the X in English? It worries you. And it's further evidence that this doesn't quite correspond to what we'd think of as the first Latin of the streets, Latin as she is spoke actually on paper. The problem with it is, this is the thing that I first noticed. You know, I'm hearing around Thanksgiving, wow, this is the first time we actually see Latin as it was really spoken, written out. And so what does Latin look like written out? Well, we have some sense of it from fragments of Latin as it actually was. You get it in the way people of the lower orders, if we might, are sometimes depicted speaking Latin in literature, just bits and pieces. You certainly get it from graffiti, including the way Latin is written in places like Pompeii, and you get it in manuals. You know, People will say, say this and not this with the implication being that there are people who are saying the wrong way, quote unquote, as opposed to the way you should say it, which is the Latin that we see written down in all of these formal classical texts. So we have some sense of it. And so it would be a kind of classical Latin that's letting its hair down, but it would be something recognizable. But with this, like, for example, this business of the man who isn't a mouse, who's embracing and opening to look, it is man, not mouse. Now, first of all, that doesn't make any sense. But the idea is that that is what this person has translated as well. It's got two things. It's got homo and mos in it. So the homo is supposed to be man, like homo, you know, ek homo. And then mos apparently is mouse. But what's all the other crap around it? The sentence is olinar, os, aus, homo. Namos. <laughs> so almost maybe, but what's this olinar? Mm. That's supposed to mean to look. It is but olinar. Mm. That's not the way it would come out in any kind of Latin or early romance that I would recognize because the idea is that Latin became the romance languages like French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Romanian. So we're looking for something that would be somewhere in between, a little closer to Latin than to French. But really, this stuff that he's got doesn't really look like anything. Or, and marry or embrace an opening. E ep us. Or e ele a open us. Okay. First of all, the Mary, it's supposed to be this epas, and that's supposed to be kind of like the, like, epouse in French, and so esposar, that sort of thing. Uh, all right, maybe, but then, or a ele. Well, ele, how's that embrace? And then a open us. Well, opening, that's, that's an English word. So why is it that in this early romance, this Latin, you have this open us? Well, it looks like opening, but would that really be their word, and it just kind of goes on and on. To avoid not getting wet with seawater. Okay, aquar, I get it. But what's all that other stuff? Why is it that this late Latin, that this Latin of the streets has got all this 
Ah, oh, so all of it sounds like Hagrid falling down a mountain. All of it sounds like for some reason, if you spoke Latin in the real way, you sounded like somebody was pinching you in the butt over and over again. <laughs> it just isn't what Latin is supposed to be. And then the next thing is, why is it in that code? You know, if that's what it was, why didn't it just write it in Latin? It just doesn't work, folks. It's really, it's just a shame. But you know what? This whole business of the Voynich manuscript does give us occasion to look at some things about language. Like, to tell you the truth, it gives me an opportunity to slip in a show about the Romance languages through the back door. And that's what I'm going to do, because you learn so much in figuring out why this translation doesn't quite work, or frankly doesn't work at all. And so for one thing, change. Change in language is normal. And so the Latin that we see on the page with, you know, Gaul being divided into three parts, et cetera, et cetera, we can know that that did not reflect the way people walked around talking with their mouth full and having sex and dropping dead and having fun. That was formal language. That was written language. So we can be sure that the way people actually spoke Latin would have been quite different. However, they chose to write it, to scripture it on the page or on parchment or on human skin or whatever they were doing. What's really interesting is what you get in, say, a usage manual, a passage about how people should speak as opposed to the way it implies they are speaking. There's one from the late 200s where somebody is writing, say mensa, not mesa. So don't leave the N out, which means that people were, you know, so Spanish, la mesa. Well, it won out after a while and became standardized as something new. But mensa is what you're supposed to say. So we see mensa on the page, but there are people running around letting that end go because, you know, sounds will drop out. Mensa, not mesa. But then there are people who are saying for pretty, not formosus, but formonsus. So they're sticking in an N because they have this sense. They're human beings just like us. Well, mesa, well, that's slangy for mensa. Well, maybe that means that if you say formosus, you're supposed to say formonsus. Well, no, don't do that. Remember the whole intrusive R thing that we talked about last time. By the way, beautiful in Romanian, frumoasă. Frumoasă. Isn't that beautiful? Romanian has always been one of my favorite languages for various reasons. And I'm going to mention that now because it's always treated as the fifth romance language. And I don't want you Romanians to feel insulted. Frumoasă. That is the prettiest word for pretty I'm aware of. And you know, pretty is the worst one. If you think about what pretty really sounds like, you know, we're used to it. But pretty sounds like you cut yourself, frankly. English is ugly. Romanian is not. Anyway, you have other things that show that the language was changing. And so, for example, ile is one way of saying this in Latin as we know it. But then in one of Latin's descendants, like Spanish, you'll have something like aquel for that. Aquel starts in Latin as eke, and that means here is, here it is, here he is, and then ile. Eke, ile. So what that shows is that in Latin, as she was actually spoken, you could say ile for this, but people were also saying eke ile, as in here is this. In other words, this here. They were reinforcing it because ile was starting to feel weak. And wouldn't you know, ile is what by itself started to become just a weak little definite article. That's where the little tiny definite articles like le and l and il come from. And so what they show is that something that starts out meaning this, that, ends up meaning just the. 
that's where definite articles usually come from, from some kind of demonstrative. And so, you know, Bill Clinton says, I did not sleep with that woman. And he's pointing. Well, that, that ends up becoming, that's the first time I've ever tried to imitate him. Sorry, it didn't work. That, that becomes a the later. So same thing. So aquel starts out as kind of in that sense. There are all sorts of things where we can tell that Latin changed in the same ways as, say, English is changing now. For example, lots of Latin nouns end in a s. So like the word for hand is manus. You would never know that if Latin weren't written down, because in none of its daughter languages, as we call it, does that S still exist. So manus is hand, but then in French, hand is main. In Spanish, it's mano. In Italian, same thing. In Portuguese, mon. In Romanian, mana. And so there's just no s. You wouldn't know. The only way you know is because there's the fossil of the written Latin with the S hanging on there. It's like dinosaur feathers. Nowadays, it's becoming quite clear that an awful lot of dinosaurs had feathers. It doesn't look as nice as the way dinosaurs were reconstructed even as recently as 20 years ago. The only way we're beginning to know how widespread this was was because the most beautifully preserved dinosaurs are in China. I mean, they're so beautifully preserved there that they practically come up squawking alive out of the ground. And you can see that they had feathers. And you can deduce that if you've got the exact same dinosaur, except slightly different, and they dig it up in Wyoming, well... The fossils aren't as faithful there. It's got its neck all bent back and it's missing its skull and its tail is broken and it's got crap all over it. It's not as good as those special rocks in China. But, you know, that same thing here in North America had feathers. That's the only way we have to deduce it. Well, Latin is like those living dinosaurs that they dig up in China. I'm going to hear from paleontologists. So I'm going to say, no, I know they're not. They're not alive, but they are beautiful beautiful fossils. All right. It's just, I'm getting silly. It's time for a song. 50 million Frenchmen. I'm going to do a very forced pattern for the songs this time. 50 million Frenchmen is a Broadway musical, 1929. And one of my favorite songs in it is one that nobody likes but me. It's called, Why Shouldn't I Have You? Why shouldn't I? And so this is the way it went. Every law-abiding jurist has at least a manicurist who can show him how to have fun and still be legal. Every king aristocratic has a wife who's morganatic He can call upon when the queen becomes too regal Every cowboy in the canyon has a little home companion Every Turk who loves his work has one or two Every human thing and dumb thing has at least someone or something So why shouldn't I have you? The idea is to do romance languages. And what we're talking about is one of a great many branches of this Indo-European family that I so often refer to. Here, it's not technically called the romance family. It's the Italic family. Then there was a little bloom of Italic languages of which Latin was one. There are preserved remnants of the others. Then Latin gives birth to the Romance languages of today. And there are the big 
five. There is French, the language which if you were a middle class person in the late 20th century or before, you were given immediately, even if you were never going to meet a French person. God love French. Then there's Spanish. That was my first language when I realized that there was something wrong with me and I wanted to speak languages for no reason. I still have the living language set of records. They were called records. The first word was Alicia. And so that was my first Spanish word. Then there's Italian. And I remember once I was on a plane and I was about 19. I was not remotely attractive in any way. And somehow, I don't remember how this happened, I ended up walking off the plane hand in hand with this beautiful woman from Italy. That is all that happened. I don't know how I pulled that off. But the one thing I remember from it, other than, frankly, her appearance and how lucky I felt, was that she taught me mani manella. And that meant hand in hand. I don't know if that's standard or dialect, but we were mani manella. Portuguese, thank you, Marita Tarafianco, for teaching me Portuguese when I was 13 at the behest of my mother. God, I hope that she paid you because I remember us walking around North Philadelphia with me speaking horrible Portuguese. Then Romanian, Diana, I know you're not listening, but here's to Carnival Cruise Ships. Those are the big five. French, Spanish, Italian, Portuguese, Romanian. But you know, there are more Romance languages. Those are just the big standard ones. And so, for example, singing, French, chanter. Spanish, cantar, Italian, cantare. Those are all words for to sing. You can tell they all came from the original Latin word. They're variations on a theme. Well, if there's a chante and a cantare and a cantare, to use the proper accents for all three of those languages, then why can't there be a chantar? Chante, cantar, cantare, chantar. Well, there is, but it's in a Romance language that you never hear anything about because these days it isn't written very much anymore. It's called Franco-Provençal. That sounds like a salad dressing, but it's the name of actually more than one language, depending on how you call it. Let's say that you've got a word like la vie, and so la vie is a life, and then living la vida loca, that's Spanish, and then Italian, la dolce vita, never have been able to sit through it. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's not that I don't get Fellini. I don't get that, except for the you know obvious charm of the scene with the fountain. I've never gotten it. But I do know that la dolce vita means the sweet life. So, vi, vida, vita. Okay, well then why not via? Wouldn't there be some language where they said via? Well, there is. That's Franco-Provençal. So there are all sorts of outcomes of Latin all over Europe, and we just only hear about those big five, or more often than not, the big four, or as we talked about, given that Portuguese tends to get kind of short shirt, really just the big three, French, Spanish, and Italian. But really the variety is as dazzling as the variety of bottled salad dressings at the store. I do not use those, (laughs) wishbone. But if I wanted to have many different kinds of salad dressing, I could have quite a few. And the Romance languages are the same way. So, for example, let's talk about keys. Let's just use keys, just randomly. It's not as if, you know, I prepared this in any way. I'm just pulling all of this out of the air. So you can you can hear that I got paper for this. French for keys, clé. I did just know that. Spanish, llave. Let's do it the Castilian way, llave. Italian, chiave. Yes, there is an Italian voice. I'm sorry. Portuguese, chave. I don't have a voice for Portuguese. I only went to Lisbon once. Best fish. Romanian. Shea. Shea. Always beautiful. Then, remember with um, Gaston Doran, we talked about that language Romance, that one spoken in the Swiss mountains. Well, key there is clav. So it's not clay, llave, chiave, chave, or shea. It's clav. Well, why not? There is what you could think of as a distant cousin of Romance called Istriot. Well, in Istriot, the way they say it, or the way they will be until the language is completely dead in about 10 minutes, is chave. Okay. Occitan. 
That's one of those not French languages spoken down in the south of France. Completely different. And so in French, keys are clays. In Occitan, keys are clouds. So clau. And that's what it is in Catalan, too. Catalan is kind of like the love child of French and Spanish. If those languages had sex, the child would grow up to be Catalan, which is one of the loveliest, most interesting languages I've ever known of for various reasons that we'll probably talk about in a future show, clau. Franco-Provençal, the word is clau. If you are up in the Piedmont, up in the mountains in the north of Italy, well, there are languages that are called Piedmontese. They're treated as Italian because they're spoken in Italy, but they seem more like French, frankly, and key there is Chav. Then there's one called Romagnol, same region, Chev, which is very pretty. Sicilian is not Italian at all. It's completely different. If Sicily were a different country, it would be considered a different language, and it's Chiavi there, not Chiave. Sardinian beautiful island, wonderful food. The word is chai. There's a Romanian that is different. It's called Aromanian. And so Romanian, shea, but a key in Aromanian is kiai, which is fun to say. Do that over and over again when you're bored. All of those are romance languages, all sorts of variations. It wasn't just those big Berlitz five. Only the beginning with French, Spanish, and Italian. Although there's nothing wrong with Spanish, and it's always developing new customs. This is Ethel Merman singing about them in 1934. Here we go. See, the, there's a song about French. Now, this one is about Spanish. I wonder what's going to be next. Oh, nights in Havana are warm and delicious. They make trusting hearts a bit too ambitious. The sway of the palms makes a girl so pernicious. A tra la 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 the men are all sheiks and they use a new system. So girlies, be careful and learn to resist them. They'll fill you with bull and after you kiss them, they'll leave you flat on the spot. Ha, 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 but for what? Ah, for tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. Oh, if some caramelero takes off his sombrero, you better take care, oh, watch out and beware, oh, for it's just a new. If you think about it, the Romance languages mostly are this glorious smudge that start at Portugal and then they kind of keep going and they climb over the Pyrenees and up into those Swiss mountains and then they trickle down Italian Peninsula, Sardinia over there, Corsica is taken care of. And then, well, what happens? Well, then there's Romanian and Romanian is way the hell over there in Slavic territory. Well, why does it stop there? Well, it didn't used to. And so if you cross the Adriatic Sea, which can be very pleasant, although I've actually never done it, but I hear that it's wonderful, cross the Adriatic Sea, it used to be that romance just kind of continued. And so, for example, on that right-hand coast of the Adriatic Sea, it used to be that you would hear a language called Dalmatian. Yes, Cruella de Vil, it was Dalmatian. And that one, as you can imagine, in some ways, not always, but in some ways, if you're going to idealize and given what a mess this world is, let's do some idealizing. It was sort of the transition between Italian and Romanian, just as you'd expect. Dalmatian is very, very, very dead. Luckily, it was written somewhat And it was transcribed from a final speaker way back in the late 19th century. His name was, basically you would call him Tony Udaina. He wasn't an ideal informant because, first of all, he didn't speak Dalmatian natively. He also had not used or heard it at all in 20 years. And 
And he also was deaf and didn't have any teeth, but he was the last one that was left. And so it was taken down what this language was. And they're just things that you like to know, like how would you count in Dalmatian? So, un, deux, trois, quatre, cinq. That's French. And then uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco. That's Spanish. Well, how do you do it in Dalmatian? Well, the way you did it was yoin, doi, tra, quatro, cenk, si, sapto, guapto. And nobody can correct me because Tony Udaina is dead. And so I can say it however I want to. And guapto, though, is interesting. Why is guapto the word for eight? Because in Latin, eight is octo. That's the Latin voice, octo. So what's guapto? Well, you know, it actually makes a certain sense. And so Romanian's word for eight isn't octo, and it isn't opto, it's opt. But the k has become a p. So everything just kind of moved to the front, opt, and then you lose the vowel. So opt. Well, suppose the o becomes oa, kind of like you have somebody as mort, dead in French, but muerto in Spanish. O, ue, well, then why not o, oa? And so opt. And then suppose you keep saying opt, opt. Feel it in the back of your throat how you kind of want to say guapt? Well, the Dalmatians did do that. Yes, I'm imagining spotted dogs doing it. Be careful with them. They tend to be crazy. And so guapto, guapto, that's how you get eight. To tell you the truth, I don't know if the whole story has been told. Did that man really have no teeth? And was he really completely deaf? Because I don't see how they could have gotten the amount of detail that they seem to have from him, including a rather full sound system. Another thing about him is that apparently he was blown up by a landmine when he was... <laughs> 70. And the question is, why was this deaf man with no teeth, who was a barber, why did he have his hands on the machine? Apparently it was like in a Looney Tune, that thing that you push down and there's a bomb. I forget what that thing is called. But he had his hands on one of those and he got blown up. Why was he handling that thing when he was a barber who was deaf and had no teeth? It's almost too good to be true, but that is apparently what happened to Dalmatian. And so it kind of reminds you of being on the streets of Italy and listening to an operetta called Naughty Marietta. You want to hear a, an old, badly recorded soprano? This is Jeanette McDonald, And she's doing the thing where she sings a long high note over rushing accompaniment. This always makes me happy, despite the bad recording, despite that most of us today don't like screechy sopranos. Jeanette McDonald, there was something about her. This is the Italian street song in the movie of Naughty Marietta in 1930-something. And here she is. I'm giving you as short a clip as I can but listen to her floating over the orchestra. Yes, some of us are sick.
Anyway, one more thing about good old Romanian. Romanian is different. Romanian's over there and spoken in Slavic territory. And so it becomes kind of Italian in Russian. It's kind of like what the people feel like. I don't mean to stereotype, but that has often been my impression. You have to love that. It's Italian in Russian. Romanian is shot through with all of these Slavic words. You're learning it, thinking that you're learning some kind of Italian or Portuguese, and you keep getting tripped up by a word that you don't expect. It's all of this Slavic stuff. And then even some things about the word order are different because of languages that are spoken around it. It's this Balkan thing. It's called Sprachbund. So languages that are bound together, a group of languages that all start to resemble one another, kind of like it said that dog Dogs and their owners resemble each other, but that's not true. But the way married couples do start to resemble one another to the extent that the respective members start losing gender after a while, especially when people are really, really old. People just really, they become the same person except next to one another. Actually, languages do that too. So with Romanian, like the article comes after the noun. So for example, el hombre, the man. Okay. Italian, l'uomo. Okay. L and then uomo. And then in French, you know, um, l'homme. So it's l'homme, except all run together. Portuguese, o homme. But then in Romanian, om ul. So it's almost like you're saying hombre el. And that's because that is, you know, the custom, you know, not a Spanish custom, the custom in the Balkans. And so Romanian is always deliciously odd. That, by the way, is not a Russian feature itself, but Italian in Russian, Italian in Balkan. So in many ways, Romanian is always the most interesting of these languages. You know, just to run back to the other end of the Romance language continuum, such as it is, it reminds me of Pedro Carolino at one point has this sentence, these peaches make me and to come water in the mouth. And what he means is that they make your mouth water. Well, something else that makes me and to come water in the mouth is that, you know, French is still spoken on some islands in the English Channel, the Channel Islands, like Guernsey and Jersey. There's still French spoken that is a remnant of when the Normans ran England. So it's not just that it's trickling from France, but this goes way back to then. And so French stops being spoken in England, but on those islands, it's still there. These islands are governmentally in between England and France. They call Queen Elizabeth the Duke of Normandy. And then there are just some weird archaisms. And so j'aime, I love. In the Channel Islands French, it's joam. And if you say nous aimons, we love. They say joamon. So the nu is the je. Go figure. That kind of thing can happen, that things generalize. So joamon. And so it's just very, very interesting in that way. There's one last thing that probably ought to be mentioned, which is that if you look at the difference between Latin and all the Romance languages, for those of you who like to sort of collect languages, you'll notice that the nouns in all the Romance languages in particular are much easier than the nouns in Latin. Latin nouns have case endings. Latin has three different genders. Just learning how to handle a noun in Latin, you know, can take years, really. And then, you know, don't even get into the verbs. And in general, Latin seems to be a much busier grammar than the grammar of at least most of the Romance languages. That tends to condition a notion 
that is very common among very smart people and which I've talked about on this show, but it's at the point where very few of you have heard all the episodes. And I want to make sure to get this in before I stop posting it, which is this, that language does not simplify naturally. It is not the case that it's natural for languages to just keep on getting easier. And as I always say, if that were true, then wouldn't all languages be gurgling dust by now? But if you know Latin and the Romance languages, you can think that, well, it just must be natural that case disappears and that gender goes down from three to two and that maybe it just disappears. And, you know, Latin has all these endings for the passive. And so the man was bitten by the dog. And then the Romance languages don't have any of that. So you think, well, that must be normal. But no, 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 no. Actually, Latin was imposed on adults who would rather have been speaking other languages. And so that was throughout Europe, certainly. And there is a case that various people believe, who I've always thought don't get enough attention, that that really started right in the Italian peninsula. So when you had Latin and then other Italic languages, well, Latin started out as something that was spoken basically in one city. Then it starts being imposed on other people who were speaking other Italic languages. Then you had Etruscan in there, which was related to things that were vastly different down in that southern part of Europe. And so what would have happened is that Latin would have gotten easier in the same way as Old English got easier when Vikings came to the island and learned it. And so then it would have gotten even easier as it spread. So Latin wasn't the usual case. And so, for example, Greek which was the prestige language related to Latin for a long time. Greek was a language which back in the old days had lots of case and the three genders and the passive endings and all sorts of other things. And modern Greek isn't that much different. So it's lost some case, it's lost some of this and some of that, but then gained other things. Now, there probably were easier Greeks because the Greeks spread much further than we often have reason to think, especially off into Asia. But nobody wrote those down. Those didn't become standardized languages, so we'll never know. But it bears mentioning that Greek in Greece is still essentially the Greek that it was way back when. Nobody would say, goodness, this language is gentler to me than ancient Greek in any significant way. It's lost some things. It's gained some other things. Although a nice thing about Greek is that there's one dialect called Tsakonian. I will talk about this for another 21 seconds. Tsakonian is spoken up in the Peloponnese, that southern part that looks like an island, but actually there's a connection. And Tsakonian actually has this thing that English has where you have to use the progressive for the present. I am singing. Yeah, why do we have to say that instead of I sing, as you would in any normal language? Tsakonian is a language that does that, too. Anyway, we don't want to give short shrift to Portuguese. And so, you know, there is a song called, there's a song called April in Paris. There's a song called April in Portugal. And so let's listen to Bing Crosby putting that one across here. I found my April dream in Portugal with you. When we discovered romance like we never knew My head was in the clouds, my heart went crazy too And madly I said I love you Anyway, that is our stealth introduction to the glory of the Romance languages. And proto-romance, that is something that some linguists do talk about. The idea being 
that Latin would have had a vulgar Latin form, certainly, and that would have been a great many, but that maybe the Romance languages are based on only one of those vulgar Latins, which you could call Proto-Romance as opposed to Proto-whatever-else-happened and then became extinct. That's a hypothesis that there was a Proto-Romance, but I think that most of us who know a little about this sort of thing are going to retain a certain skepticism about this supposed translation of the Voynich manuscript. And it leads me to want to close with a little bit more Pedro Carolino. Curl up with him with bourbon and it will make you realize that it's always worth continuing to live. This is Pedro Carolino celebrating people who enjoy learning different languages. And so it goes... Tong he is German, and the tong is this misprint. It's clear that it's supposed to be though, but if you read this enough, the tong just starts to seem like normal language. Tong he is German. He speaks so much well Italian, French, Spanish, and English that among the Italians, they believe him Italian. He speaks the French as the Frenches themselves. The Spanishesmen believe him Spanishing, and the English is Englishmen. <laughs> so. Let's think about such a person. And, you know, there is no song February in Bucharest, thank God. So I can't salute Romanian in old pop. Let's close with a fine romance. This is Irving Berlin and Dorothy Fields in 1936. Fine romance because we're talking about the romance languages. And listen to that opening vamp, which sounds exactly like being in love, but not being sure that it's going to work out. This is Fred Astaire. And in any case, you can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. And you know what? If I had listened to this episode, I would be wondering, has anybody ever successfully decoded some weird seeming stuff that they dug up out of the ground? And the answer is yes, but you can only find out if you subscribe to Slate Plus. Mike Volo is, as always, the editor, and I'm John McWhorter. And as for Slate Plus, remember, it's only $35 for the first year, and you'll be helping support this and other Slate podcasts. Sign up now to get all the good news at slate.com slash lexicon plus. This is a fine romance.